Welcome to the Quadcast, brought to you by the Mary Christie Institute, a thought leadership organization dedicated to the behavioral health and well-being of teens and young adults. We have a particular focus on college students. I'm Marjorie Malpedi, the executive director of the Mary Christie Institute. And I'm Dana Humphrey, the associate director of the Mary Christie Institute, and we're the hosts of the Quadcast. Hello, and welcome to the Quadcast. I'm Dana Humphrey, associate director of the Mary Christie Institute. Today, we'll be talking to two experts and authors whose respective books both focus on college health. Dr. Jill Grimes, a family physician, clinical instructor for UMass Medical School, and author of The Ultimate College Student Health Handbook, and Jill Henry, a high school teacher, award-winning cross-country coach, and co-author of the book The Greatest College Health Guide You Never Knew You Needed, recently co-wrote an op-ed that was published in the Hetchinger Report called The Pandemic Gave Graduating High School Seniors New Strength and Resilience. And I loved this piece, so I'm so happy to have both authors with us today. Dr. Jill and Coach Jill, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. Your op-ed emphasizes one silver lining over the past 15 months or so. Starting with you, Dr. Jill, could you describe what you think are the hopeful signs for this generation of graduating high school students? You know, we know all the disappointments, the the series of disappointments that this class has had with a lost prom, lost graduation, lost classmates, not to mention lost family members and other extended problems. But on the positive side, we sort of talked about four different areas that this class has a different skill set, a better skill set than any class before them. So starting with just an elevated health IQ, and that's both for personal care. Remember, this whole pandemic started off with us talking about the 20 seconds of hand washing and not touching shared common surfaces. They've learned a lot about vaccines and the need for their all vaccines to be up to date, not just a COVID vaccine. And telehealth, how to access health care that they will be able to do literally from a dorm room or from their home without even going into an office at times. So elevated health queue is number one. We know that they are much more understanding and appreciative of all different types of extracurricular activities, whether that was a sports team or band or theater or all these different groups and activities that kids belong to in high school that is a big part of their sense of belonging. They, a lot of them lost that this year. And so they are going to be looking for that with more vigor as they approach college. The third thing is that many of them had to pick up jobs for the first time or or additional jobs to help with their family's finances or their own personal finances. So there's just a lot more increased financial awareness. And finally, obviously, the biggest one is that they all had to immediately develop stronger independent study skills, something that usually happens in that big transition from high school to college instead happened this year. They had to choose you know, whether or not they were going to attend class, how much attention they were going to be giving to their Zoom classes. They had to learn about limiting distractions and managing their time much, much more than you would ordinarily in a typical high school where you just go to school and you are, you are in classes for eight hours in the day. They had to learn all of that juggling. And that's actually where we see a lot of freshmen flounder. We think they're going to go in much better prepared. Yeah, I love that perspective of looking at it that way. Some of those positive signs to look for. Coach Jill, you are a teacher and a cross-country coach, and you are in touch with some of your student-athletes. 
during the shutdowns and periods of physical disting and what for many was more social isolation. What did you hear from them about their experience? So I had a really interesting experience coaching them throughout the pandemic because I coach cross country, which is typically a fall sport. And so we started in the summer and we at that point didn't really know how long the COVID restrictions would stay in place. So myself and the other coaching staff set everything up to make staying physically active as easy for the students as possible and created training plans for them and had one-on-one meetings and you know got them paired up with accountability buddies. Everything to try to bring exercise into their life to substitute the in-person meetings we had. And what was fascinating was that on a team of 35 kids, I think all but maybe five of them completely dropped off. And they might've hung on for a few days. And I think the few that stuck with it were really because they had parents that also exercise. And so they had a physically present accountability buddy. But what was really interesting was checking in with them six months, eight months down the line. A lot of them were getting back into exercise and it was because they had deemed it important to their physical and mental health. It it was sort of interesting for, for the first time in their lives, they were experiencing it as an optional thing because practice was really not required because we weren't meeting and they had to decide whether or not it was important enough to do on their own. And a lot of kids took some time to figure out the intrinsic value of getting exercise or doing anything because so many of the routines and structures that they were familiar with as being a high school student and living at home where most of their day is really planned for them, they had to start to decide what's really important enough that I want to include it in my life. And I think that that increased awareness to the things that make you happy, to the things make you feel good or proud, that will serve them really well. And I think in talking to a lot of them, that was something they'd never really given thought to before. And if you look at the data with freshmen and and for the creation of our book, my husband and I's book, we talked to a lot of students. And I think what you see is this consistent theme where for the first eight months of that freshman year, students really drop all their old routines and sort of free fly in. And then towards the end of the freshman year, they start to develop some new habits that might serve them better. So the hope is that these kids in this past year got everything taken away and had to rebuild structures eventually that work for them. By having already gone through this sort of crash course in how to plan your life, plan your day around the things that are best for you, hopefully the kids going to campus this fall won't have to do that again and can start to get off on the right foot. Yeah, definitely. That certainly resonates with even my experience as an adult during the shutdown exercise and some of those extracurriculars or or hobbies that keep you going, keep you happy as you can't see the people that you normally see. And it's especially important for those emerging adults. Let me jump in. I've just thought of one more thing as you were saying it. I think these kids also had an opportunity to learn new things they didn't even know made them happy, which is, again, not an experience they have until college. They got to try, for instance, kids who had always been programmed with extracurriculars because that's just what they always did. They always did robotics and cross country and band, started painting or skateboarding, Mm -hmm. things they never would have tried. And so hopefully that exposure to some new activities will actually be, again, setting themselves up for college where there's way more activities than they're familiar with and and probably have never tried before. Yeah, I loved that example of the skateboarding in the article. I thought that was so, so interesting and uh, such a great image. Dr. Jill, you see young adults in your practice, and I believe you're also a parent of a young adult or young person. Too. (laughs) So lots of interaction with young people. Did you observe similar things or what did you observe about their reaction to the year? 
Exactly the same thing. And yes, I have a graduate student and an undergraduate. So in their worlds, hearing from their friends as well. And many of them really struggled with the basics of nutrition. And remember at the beginning of the pandemic, everyone was baking bread. That was the new habit, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so instead of the freshman 15, we began talking about the COVID-19, right? (laughs) (laughs) And weight gain during COVID was definitely a real thing. You took away exercise, you added in being at home, easy access to food, junk food, junk foods cheaper often, or certainly more convenient than having to proactively think about better nutrition. So all of these things came together. Likewise, in the beginning, that was the problem as it wore on and on, things were getting worse. But then when people realized, you know, I don't feel good, I don't feel well, I'm not sleeping well and increasing depression and anxiety, which I know we're gonna talk about a little bit more, but the basics of getting back there and needing to figure out their own plans for daily exercise, aerobic activity, getting moving, getting outside, physically just getting away from a screen, all of those things evolved. And I think people are in a much better place by and large right now. Definitely. I uh, have to say I got in on the bread making trend. I still have my sourdough starter, but it has sat untouched for quite a few months now. (laughs) So Coach Jill, how did the idea for this op-ed come about? Sure. So one of our earliest conversations, Dr. Jill and I really connected because we had these two books with unbelievably similar titles coming from the same publishing house. And so we got in touch with one another when we realized our books are very complementary and then they serve different purposes and they work beautifully together. But one of our earliest conversations was about how everything we were just talking about, that there's a need for basic health education, frankly, for everybody, but really for students going to college in that transitional state where they're really in charge of a lot of the decisions that impact how they feel for the first time. And so we were talking about how there's a need for that now more than ever. But the good thing about that is that students and people, adults, everyone, is actually probably more acutely aware of the need for that than they've ever been. Because we all just had this departure from our normal routines for over a year and saw the impact that picking up bad habits can have on how we feel physically, emotionally, mentally. So our conversation really spiraled into that the increased awareness is actually an advantage for them, but that it's really important that we talk about it Because students might not even realize all of the skills that they gained because so much of the conversation has been on what everybody lost. And I think that's a really important conversation so that we can all heal. But Jill and I are also both in professions where our job is to give people actionable directives for moving forward. And so, you know, her as a doctor and me as a teacher and a coach, it made sense to pay attention to the areas that we could highlight that might actually better prepare this group of kids to move forward and really take control of the things that are within their control when they get to campus in the fall. Yeah, it actually reminds me of a piece I read several months ago, I think now, that was talking about how parents and adults in children's lives, and I think this was more about younger children, but really should stop referring to this lost year because that can really resonate with children and make them feel that way as well. So Dr. Jill, in your piece, you wrote, I'm quoting now, perhaps the greatest benefit of the pandemic is the increased discussion around mental health. Is that something that you've seen in your practice? Yes. And as always, and certainly with the Mary Christie Foundation, you know how important this is. If you look back 
pre-pandemic, so with the 2018 data from the American College Health Association, we already knew that close to half, 41% of students reported that they felt so depressed that it was difficult to function. And yet only 18% sought help and were treated. So there was already a gap between people having symptoms and people seeking help. And we just have seen over and over that these numbers of depression and anxiety have increased during the pandemic. But the good news is along with that increase, people have talked about it because there has been such an emphasis on loneliness and isolation and loss. And while I think it's important as we were saying before, to start shifting the dialogue towards focusing on the positives to come out. Meanwhile, I think being able to highlight and talk about these losses more openly are going to help students and help everyone be more open to seeking health. The other thing that I think is just really a wonderful thing to come out of the pandemic is very specifically telehealth for counseling, whether that is with a psychiatrist, a primary care doctor, a master of social work, any type of counseling, for people to be able to seek that in the privacy of their own home through their computer, but actually connecting with another licensed, trained individual to help is tremendous. Because I know in my years of you know, family medicine, I have recommended counseling time and time again, because I can't do all counseling, obviously, in my office. And so I refer out, but many people just won't do it. There's still a stigma for many people of, I don't want to go to a psychiatrist, or I don't want to go to a counselor. They want me to give them a pill to fix things, and I can give them pills that help. <laughs> and I am certainly a big fan of antidepressant and anti-anxiety medications in their proper role, but they don't work by themselves. So I think removing this barrier of having to physically go somewhere is huge. And many college campuses, including the University of Texas, where I work part-time, have integrated mental health, physically integrated it into their regular clinic space. So that students sitting in a waiting area no one knows if the student sitting next to them is going in for a sprained ankle into see the doctor or going into a room right next door to them for counseling. And I think the more we can do to overcome these barriers to getting mental health and counseling, the better. So I do think very strongly that the increased access as well as the increased discussion about mental health this past year is a real plus. Yeah, I definitely agree. And the telehealth point is so important and so interesting, especially for college students who are really busy or they don't have a car or they don't want to leave their dorm room. And there's already that barrier when you are feeling fine to going and doing something. Yeah, I want to add that actually it was very interesting in talking to some college students. One of their big pluses about telehealth was purely the time scheduling. They were more focused on that than I expected. And they said, well, yeah, you know, I don't have to get a ride from somebody else or catch an Uber. It's less, you know, it's, it's less expensive to physically get there and there's way less of a time commitment. So that was really important to many students. I'll jump in here. I actually had a really interesting conversation with a group of my runners and it connects to the telehealth thing. A lot of them were talking about how this year for the first time ever, their conversations about mental health were less jokey and cavalier. I think in mm -hmm. the past they'd been like, oh, I'm so stressed. I'm so depressed. I'm so anxious. But even if they were really feeling them, those things, 
felt embarrassed or unsure about talking with about them with their friends. And one of my runners had something really profound, which was, we're all struggling. So there's no point in making a joke about it. And she said that extended to conversations with her friends, but also with her parents. And from talking to the group of them, they now really understood what it felt like to have anxiety and depression. They may have experienced the symptoms they, themselves. They certainly have more awareness of what those are. A lot of them actually started seeing a counselor this year. And the nice thing about telehealth is that they could continue seeing the same person when they go to college, that the distance is maybe no longer a barrier. And I think I'm hopeful, and Jill, correct me here if this isn't true, but I'm hopeful that this actually takes some of the burden off of campuses because this is just anecdotal and I don't have a statistic to back it up, but I know that it can be sometimes difficult to get an appointment for counseling services on campus. And so telehealth hopefully gives access to somebody who's familiar in a way that maybe didn't exist in prior years. And so I think students have an increased awareness. They are more willing to take it seriously. They are have already broached those hard conversations and might already have a care plan in place for themselves as they go off for the fall. Definitely. And students are already online. So it is perfect right. for, for that group. So Dr. Jill, I want to talk to you about this first. We know that the pandemic has had a disproportionate effect on some groups with low income and communities of color, especially being hit hard in terms of both the actual virus and the resulting financial upheaval. Do you think that this new strength and resilience skill set that you have talked about in this piece may apply to certain types of students, possibly more privileged students more? Or is it something that you see as crossing lines? Well, I think that it's different skill sets for different circumstances. I think everyone will have different things that they're taking away. Certainly, for the more privileged students, they've learned that they can, for example, find online tutoring that they may not have been aware of before. And so many different online services, they have the funds to pay for, and now they have the access. So obviously, that's going to help someone who has the finances to pay for that. But I think the overall skill set, particularly just the managing your own time and the autonomous learning that they began doing, whether it's even just reaching out by email to teachers, which is something that, that high school students don't necessarily do or didn't before the pandemic, but now that's become the major way to ask questions and they've learned that they have to self-advocate and really clarify things for themselves. That skill set obviously is across the board. I think that campuses and professors will have to be more aware of certain things this year. For example, particularly in different subsets, people have lost many family members. You know, we mentioned that from the disease itself, there, there are very significant empty spaces at dinner tables that weren't there before. And so I think there's going to need to be increased awareness of that. Like if you're in a literature class and you're talking about a book that you've taught for 20 years about this book, but there's death and loss of a grandparent or a parent, I think that's going to change the conversation because some students, that's going to be a very personal, new, intense 
loss. I'm not sure that this is directly answering your question, but I I think there's just so many different aspects to it because this whole year has affected different populations with completely different impact. Yeah. Thank you for mentioning that as we return to campus, college administrators and high school administrators as well, what they need to be thinking about as these students return, that these students are not the same students that they saw a few years ago, that everything has changed. And in the same way that we were talking about mental health is more of a conversation and it's more seen as an appropriate conversation from my own experience. We check in on each other's mental health at work. Are you doing okay? How are you feeling? That sort of thing. Those are things that even we've talked about this at the Mary Christie Institute before, but even faculty can be doing that with their students or teachers. How are you doing? Just making sure students are doing okay. Right. So speaking of lessons, bringing lessons into a post-COVID era, whenever that may be, Coach Jill, what are what lessons are you hoping that your students take into the new normal? Sure. I, I think this is more about really their perspective. I think I'm really hoping that they look at their re-entry to college in the fall, whether they're going for the first time ever, they're transferring to a new school, or they're returning as a junior or senior after a year away, that this is a fresh start, that this is an opportunity to reprogram and think about what things they can put in place in their day that they have control over to take care of themselves physically and mentally and emotionally. I think interest in and conversation about health is really at a high because everybody has struggled with some element of their health, mental or physical, this past year. And so obviously, as somebody who's coming from the world of education, on top of writing this book, I've put a lot of time and effort into thinking about curriculum for health. And I'm really hopeful that college wellness offices and residence halls look at this as the exciting opportunity that it is to help students reprogram. We can't wipe away all the trauma of the last year. I think everybody has suffered that. But I also think that this is a a unique opportunity to look at this as a fresh start. And there was a really great article in Inside Higher Ed recently where they were talking about the, I think it was titled The COVID Crush. And it was talking about how COVID obliterated people's routines. And it was specific to higher ed and quoted the Boise State president who said, this crisis has showed us that if we don't care for the whole student, we're not going to see the success that we want to see. And it's that comprehensive approach. It has to be integrated and it has to be ongoing. And I think that's a really important lesson that students, administrators, professors, teachers in high school, we all need to bear in mind is like where everybody's rebuilding, but this is an opportunity to do it right. Thank you so much for saying that. I'd like to give you both an opportunity for last comments here. Dr. Jill, why don't we start with you? Sure. I think my comments, I'd like to direct them to the campus administrators and kind of plead for them. I, I know that There's so much that our administrators are having to deal with just sheer logistics of bringing the kids back on campus, whether they're vaccinated or not, and adjusting, making all of these compliance issues just straight on health. But I really hope that they will also focus on encouraging clubs starting this summer, not not waiting for fall to happen, but all of their campus clubs, the hundreds of thousands of clubs, to get them to reach out to incoming students now to perhaps have a virtual club fair that 
they'll, they'll hopefully there'll be one in person when kids get on campus too. But these kids are starving for interaction and connection. And we know that homesickness is all about not being connected on campus, right? So I think if there could be more things made available this summer virtually to encourage students to start connecting and start looking at different things while they have that time and while we want to shift them from looking backwards to looking forwards, that that would be really helpful. Additionally, same thing for all the on-campus jobs. Many students, if they are not granted a work-study program as part of their financial package, there's going to be a lot of students who still want and need on-campus jobs. And that's A, a great way to connect, but B, also helps with their own financial planning. And so I would love to see there to be a push this summer to increase awareness of those things through online meetings or email something. But I, that's that's my hope looking forward. Yeah, thank you so much for those practical suggestions. I think that's so great. And I know you've been on this podcast before, so you're an old hat and you know our audience as college administrators. So hopefully they hear you and they take some of that to heart. Coach Jill would love to give you an opportunity for some last comments. Sure. I think this maybe even harkens back to what I was saying earlier, but you know, a lot of the programming that designed to help kids adjust to campus life happens in freshman orientation and time is tight and everybody wants a piece of the pie. But again, it's all directed at freshmen. Every single student, regardless of what year they are in school, is re-entering for the first time in a while and adjusting to this new set of norms, which will feel more like college did in 2019. And so to get back to what Dr. Jill had said, I think this has to go beyond freshman orientation. Conversations is just about the minutia how do we get back into, I hate to keep harping on routines, but it really is. It's rebuilding from the bottom up so that you set yourself with a good foundation. So it's it can't just lie in the hands of freshman orientation. I think wellness offices, like I said before, residence halls, but then at a certain point, students might not live on campus. So it's the responsibility of clubs throughout campus to really provide opportunities to talk about adding back structure, adding back socialization, adding in exercise, whatever the case might be, to get students feeling their best as we all try to rebound back. And hopefully in some cases can come back stronger than ever, because as I said earlier, we have a heightened awareness about what we've been doing this past year, what's worked and what hasn't. And so campus wide, there's really going to need to be a push. And I think that's an exciting thing because we all get that restart. May I add one more thing in? Sure. We were talking about the, the, the rebound, that there's going to be a lot of different rebound. And one rebound will be rebound partying. And it was very interesting to me that although depression and anxiety was up this year, actually substance abuse was down. And a lot of that's because a lot of kids were back home. <laughs> and there's there's less binge drinking in terms of, you know, college style parties at homes than there is on campuses. So I do think it's really important for the administrators to be providing opportunities for partying, but also, you know, in the context of actual activities. I'm picturing different outdoor events that actually have games and such things to do that will encourage people to gather, but not so much be gathering for a 
classic fraternity style party. And I think there's going to have to be increased discussions with the Greek systems, especially about that potential for rebound partying. And I know that could be a whole nother podcast, (laughs) but I wanted to throw that out there. Yes. Thank you so much for saying that. Actually, we have in our upcoming summer quarterly, we have an article that will touch on that, a little crossover promotion for our products here. It actually will be about fears around sexual assault that, that experts are thinking about because both the freshmen and sophomores will be coming onto campus as new students to campus in many cases, but we'll definitely be touching on the alcohol piece as well. Excellent. Thank you both so much for coming on the quadcast. Thank you for your op-ed. It was so interesting and insightful, and it's such a time of hope right now, so it's nice to see that reflected in a, a piece in the media. So thank you so much to both of you. Thanks so much for having us. Thank you for having us. This has been the Quadcast, a program of the Mary Christie Institute. To learn more about our work, go to marychristieinstitute.org, where you can sign up for our other programs like the MC Feed and the Mary Christie Quarterly. And if you like what we're doing, leave us a rating or review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks so much for listening.